Welcome, everybody. I'm Michael Brooks, joined by Kyle Kalinsky. And uh, this is our second joint strategy session, which you can watch on the Michael Brooks Show YouTube channel. And of course, on the monster, awesome secular talk channel, uh, you should be subscribed to both. This was going to be a live stream, but we're having this like, actually, it, I'm basically having a sort of semi panic attack because I'm supposed to do my main show in about 45 minutes. TMBS is supposed to go live. Hopefully it'll be resolved by then, but we still needed to record this because this has been, uh, it's been way too long since we last talked. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. Good. Besides the, the, uh, YouTube anxiety. Um, but we wanted to, to, uh, touch on a couple of things, you know, Kyle and I, I think mostly look at things in, very similar ways and where we don't, it's actually interesting um, in a way that I think, you know, conversations can make us all better and more effective uh, in terms of winning uh, left campaigns and movements and so on. Um, but we wanted to talk tonight about a couple of different things. Um, probably have time for two serious things and maybe some fun with Dave and maybe Dave is the reason why YouTube is down. He's just like, well, I, I'm all about these conversations, Michael. <laughs> I'm all about these ideas. It's reached a tipping point, which is very funny. All of a sudden, everybody, <laughs> I feel like I, I could do it like, dude, I was making fun of Dave Rubin before it was popular. You were. No, you were you were ahead of everybody when it came to even Sam Harris and oh, uh, yeah. definitely Dave Rubin. Oh, My yeah. favorite thing about Dave Rubin is that sometimes he doesn't even bother to fill in the blanks. He just goes right to... Like, let's have conversations and let's talk about ideas. But then when you ask him, like, okay, what specific <laughs> ideas are you talking about? He's like, you know, the ideas and stuff, bro. <laughs> I love how you, my, the, the most amazing move, right? It, I, all right, yeah, let's just get this out of the way. But this is a new observation that hit me that was pretty funny about him, which is, like, he does those moves, like, because I'm, you know, I'm writing this book on all of these guys and this whole – uh, you know, and how to deal with like the new right and the IDW and all this stuff. And I, so I'm rewatching the classic, you know, Rogan UPS exchange, which is it's so funny. That I'm literally transcribing just part of it in the book. And and um, but what I love about Ruben is like when he gets cornered, even by like a guy who he's not like, you know, Rogan's not there to grill him by any stretch of the imagination. And but it's just like, oh, I'm making a complete, complete ass of myself. And and then he's just like, yeah, I mean, I'm just more interested in it, like intellectually. And you know what really struck me as as fucking hilarious is that, you know, like some people who are like, you know, very smart people, like not Dave Rubin people, like, you know, people who are, you know, pretty thoughtful people, pretty informed, can put stuff together. And then sometimes they might like encounter an idea that's like on a super abstract level. And, and you'll say like, I don't know, like that's kind of above my pay grade or something. What I love is like Dave's technique of just like all of the basic stuff I totally don't have covered. I'm only interested. <laughs> like, like it's just incredible when you're out is like, like, no, I don't do fractions because I'm interested in physics. No, I, it was. It's even better than you're saying. It's like what there were multiple times where Joe Rogan just like casually caught him, stone right. cold dead, like just dead wrong about something, and uh, Ruben's response is like, "Well, you know, you know, I, at an intellectual level, I care about that. Like, I really care about it at an intellectual level. It's the idea. Like, I like the idea of 
total deregulation and letting these builders do whatever they want. Yo, I'm not saying it'll actually work in real life, but I like the idea of that argument. Right. Just like I like the idea of insert uh, Castro joke right now. Um, <laughs> so uh, let me just say, all right. So so <laughs> that's all right. Well, everybody's got a, it's a rite of passage in any 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 friendship built uh, in, 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 in the modern world. Just a little bit of making fun of Dave. But um we wanted to talk also about, I mean, the first one, do you want to hit on this idea of like, and we don't have it that spelled out, but I, that there might be a little bit of a difference between a politics that's rooted in kind of like, uh, I would say socialism and international solidarity versus like a kind of left isolationism. I think, you know, it's, these are one of those conversations. First of all, does that setup make sense to you? And also I think like, you know, practically speaking, this is one of those things where probably on a fair amount of policies, it's going to look very, you know, pretty much the same in practice. But I think there are some really important differences in terms of like how you're approaching problems. And I, I have one example in mind, but I'll get to that in a second. What, what, what is your kind of sense of that? Do you buy that there's a distinction? So first of all, I, I kind of agree with what you just said there, that functionally, um, it's the it's kind of the same thing. But my interest in this conversation is actually more just um, hearing your take on what the exact distinction is, because in my mind, uh, I never really liked the the uh, term isolationism because I always felt like it had a uh, a negative connotation to it, and I always preferred non-interventionist because that sounds. I feel like isolation sounds like it has other things that come along with it, maybe like involving trade, like being a trade isolationist, or it just always struck me as having more of a negative connotation where non-interventionist sounds more benign. It sounds like value neutral when you say non-interventionist. Um, but yeah, I always fancied myself just, you know, when asked what my foreign policy beliefs are, I definitely say non-interventionist and you could throw in there anti-imperialist. Um, I'm fine with politicians using the argument of like, oh, you know, these interventions don't work, but, you know, I prefer more of an argument of they're immoral and they're illegal yep, yep, <laughs> when it yep. comes to international law. But um, so what would you describe your position as? You said more socialist internationalist, and obviously that entails anti-imperialism and non-intervention, uh, non-interventionism. But how does it go beyond that? Like, what's the distinction? So I think the distinction is is one is it is like <laughs> I'm going to sound like Big Lebowski. One part of it is an ethos, man. Uh, <laughs> and then the other part of it is I think, you know, there's a couple areas that are a little bit potentially a big policy difference. And I, I'm just going to like not speak around it. I totally don't want this to be, you know, an okay. I'm, I won't even mention the specific person's name because it's really not about a specific candidate. But as an example, uh, you know, when you go to Syria, so I'll, I'll work backwards in the sort of the more like consequential effect. To me, you know, one like and this is where I think like, yeah, there's basically on many policy levels, there's very little practical difference. But, you know, I absolutely even while I 100 percent believe that, you know, certainly Assad and his patrons 
are butchers and have killed a massive amount of people. And I don't believe that the uprising against him was like some conspiracy or false flag. I think it reflected genuine anger at the economics and politics of the Assad government, which in fact were, you know, not nationalist, not left wing at all. And then at the same time, I 100 percent oppose U.S., CIA, uh, Saudi and Gulf intervention as well. 100 percent completely. And I'm just trying to have like a an honest you know, assessment of all the variables in the situation. But on the other hand, I would say like, OK, so we both oppose military action. But what is our opinion uh, on refugees? How do we vote in terms of protecting refugees? How do we push uh, the administration, you know, particularly obviously under Trump, uh, but even under Obama to do a lot more to confront and deal with and and frankly pay for our role in generating the refugee crisis in that region. And so to me, I think isolationism, I agree with you, it does have a bad connotation. I would also say it does have a bad connotation with those issues around uh, refugees, around immigration, around movement of people. And I'm not to say that like, you know, some of these issues are complicated, I think, you know, do I believe in open borders? Yeah, as like a decades long potential project in the future. But in the short term, I do think demilitarizing the border is a very goddamn important thing, right? <laughs> you could still have a border that is not militarized. So to me, when I hear, and then one other example I'll just throw in, like some people have so over, well, I don't want to say overlearned, but like should the United States be coup-mongering, interfering abroad? Of course not, period. Uh, but some have said even to the point of like, well, I feel uncomfortable. And I've, I've seen a couple, nobody major saying this. This is just on the top of my head right now of like, I'm not sure Ro Khanna should be sending a letter demanding that the, that the Trump administration encourage an investigation of the corrupt conviction of Lula because the United States should never comment on the inter internal affairs of another country, period. My opinion is that People should be able to comment and work on whatever the hell they want to across any borders because I do think workers across borders and people who share values across borders can share politics and interests. And I think that's the ethos part. So this is a little bit of a pivot, but when do you think it's justified to use military force? When do I think it's justified to use? I mean, I have a pretty conservative definition of that mostly which is that, uh, you know, in, in a situation of like extreme and objective preventative uh, threat, right? And preventative, not preemptive. Um, now, I also think, and you know, this is also where, again, I don't necessarily adhere to like a rigid rule set and it might be another, you know, area of disagreement. Like I've said as an example, I, I've been very critical of like many aspects of Russian foreign policy too, not like all the hacking stuff, but like just its own areas of influence, right? Just like the United States. And that I've also said a million times that like, if Russia uh, sends troops and presents to Venezuela, which undermines our effort to have a coup there, that's great. <laughs> because in the practical and the real world, that undermines a greater harm. So similarly, while I oppose US presence in Syria, I think keeping like, a couple of hundred people there, you know, supporting this pretty successful Kurdish experiment and self, uh, you know, government, 
I support on balance, right? Because on the other hand, I don't necessarily have like a hard and fast rule about all of these things in each case. It's like I don't, I don't necessarily think from like a first premise and then fit everything into that. I think you also have to deal with the world as it is. But I think in general, you know, uh, military action and certainly war needs to be the last, the last, the last, the last, the last resort. Pretty much, unless it's you know an immediate absolute clearly cut threat that's interesting because i think we do have a slight difference then because i am more inclined to go based off of uh, like a principle mm -hmm. and then act based off of that right and i will freely admit that in some instances it it gets messy as a result of that so mine does too you know i think <laughs> right well yeah yeah there's no avoiding it the world is a messy place exactly but like i would use military force similar to you only in cases of like genuine defense of the country, but then, you know, the, the most logical response to this, which I've heard a zillion times, is like, okay, well, what about if there's a genocide happening somewhere? Mm -hmm. And, you know, my response to that is always, as long as we're not going at it unilaterally, as long as it's an international effort to try to prevent some sort of obvious, like, wrongdoing or genocide, something of that nature, then I'm fine with it. But we have to be a nation among nations and not a nation above nations, because, like, oftentimes, and this is what people struggle digesting it's like we are oftentimes on the bad side of that equation hundred like percent i have no trouble yeah, digesting that. that's one of the reasons i, I respect I your you work so saying, much is that you I, are very clear on that yeah i'm talking about you know like the people who still have you know maybe 25 percent um harris ism in their brain still and you know <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know yeah. we have good intentions and right, intentions yeah. are very important and that's yeah. the main difference we have and good it's like intentions. well if you're propping up you know uh a dictator in Saudi Arabia who's committing a genocide in Yemen and you're sitting idly by as they kill women because they were protesting for the right to drive, Yep. you know, and beheading people in the public square. It's like, well, I don't give a, give a shit about your intentions. I care about what, like, what are you actually doing in the world? I don't care what you think is in your head. Um, so, you know, that, that's my reaction to that in terms of when we use force. But to go back to like a point you made before about refugees, that's interesting because I always thought of just – I just kind of thought of it as just a, a totally separate issue. Not saying I wouldn't agree with you on the issue itself on its own merits because I think I would. Um, but I just always – I never really link that to my view on foreign policy. I, I just kind of thought of it as like a separate issue in the same way that I would think of like the minimum wage is one issue and then you know legalizing marijuana is another issue. You're saying that these things basically – Socialist internationalism is like, you know, you have to look at these things as an amalgamation and it's all like one, all part of one project. Well, I mean, even if you're looking at it, I mean, yeah, if you have my set, definitely. But I would say even like even if you were to look at it from, you know, a, a, just like a, a quote unquote realist standpoint, right, which neither you or I really have in our politics, but you know, like the literature in international relations or people dealing with this stuff now uh, and, you know, mostly making a ton of mistakes. Uh, yeah, I definitely think you can't talk about like international relations is diplomacy. It's uh, it's military action, but it's also diplomacy. It's also the environment. It's also the migrations of people. And of course, those things also intersect a lot with domestic policy, like you point out all the time in terms of misspent spending priorities, but even things like, you know, there's many different elements of dealing with, you know, uh, 
refugee and migration issues. And I think obviously our primary responsibility is to fight the brutality and the racism of like the Trump administration as an example, 100%. And, and then at the same time, and I don't think that like there shouldn't be anything controversial about this, which is like actually, while there should be open, uh, you know, very liberalized borders and the opportunity of people to go where they want to go, that makes for a better society. And those are, you know, our values. Uh, I, you know, plenty of people, as an example, are so desperate to have, you know, to even under Trump leave El Salvador to try to get a refugee status. Well, that relates to the types of foreign policies the United States has implemented in that region. So I do think it's sort of like all part of the same package. And I do think the isolationist view, you know, look, the advantage is let's stop engaging in all of these, you know, wars. Let's pull back 100 percent. But I feel like at the other on the other hand, it's like. Well, first of all, what is that actually going to look like in practice? Because the truth is, as soon as you become president, you're heading up an empire, whether you like it or not. And does that also mean that you pull out on all these other things that are both our responsibility precisely because of things you talked about and are just also part of problems in the international system? And the only other thing I want to say really quick, and I think that this is an area that like I have a guy, Daniel Bessner, on, on my show a lot who I think you'd really like and you should read. And, you know, he's somebody whose whole career is dedicated to opposing so-called humanitarian interventions and explaining the military industrial complex and also the intellectual roots of it. But he's also saying like a mistake that the left has also made is that we've only been dissenters and critics. We haven't said like, what if somebody who actually does have a decent foreign policy become president? What does that actually look like? Because they are going to get asked these questions like, you know, trade with China or not having a new Cold War with China, but also at the very least registering that we're not happy about like the abuse of the Uyghurs, as an example. And that is the part where it's like, I think a lot of it is, you know, going into the future. and We have no idea what the answers are. And oh, and just that that law can't always give us the framework because, you know, law is subservient to power anyways. Right. Like these international legal frameworks are subverted mostly by us and everybody else all the time. They come down to raw power issues. So we have to figure out how do we rework how we actually use power. So if I could try to sum up like the, the yeah. based off everything we've said so far, if I could if I could try to sum up how we would define the difference between what you call left isolationism versus socialist internationalism. Left isolationism is from the framework of, hey, we should pull out of all these wars because it would help us here at home. Whereas socialist internationalism is more about, hey, we should stop doing all that and we should do a couple other things along with it. And the reason we should do it is not just because it helps us, but it also helps the victims of U.S. empire. I think that's pretty good. Yeah. And that the, and, and also that it's all connected. Right. Like because I also am a big believer, too, that even the more like altruistic good of us to do is also pretty much fundamentally in our self-interest as well. And, you know, like go back to blowback. You know what I'm saying? So so now let me ask you this, because, yeah. you know me, I'm, I'm if there's one thing that I, I think I do more than anything else, it's, it's the strategy aspect of all this stuff. Right. And I'll tell you that I don't disagree with you on the substance of it, but I genuinely believe that like a left non-interventionism can be sold significantly better than socialist internationalism to your average American. Would you agree with that or no? I, to me, no, because I do think that so much of this stuff 
other than, by the way, a handful of very specific issues, most of which are mostly domestic besides trade, which we haven't even talked about. But trade is another huge one that I think exists in this that obviously has major implications for American workers, but also people on the outside. I think if it's framed right, uh, you can sell this to people as part of like, you know, our like responsibility as a country, even like tapping into some of that like pride that people feel, frankly, in being parts of the United States and like what we supposedly represent. So I but I think like, look, on a really simple top line, and this is where, again, practically there isn't much difference. My emphasis would be and I, you know, over 90 percent to go to people and be like, look, I don't want to take your kid and send them overseas to have their legs blown off. I want them to have an awesome job. So, you know, <laughs> that's probably See, what you'd okay, say, but too. Say, then again, I think we're we're. Yeah effectively agreeing yeah probably because my whole point is like if you go to people and you say hey listen these wars are stupid these wars are dumb and you don't even necessarily have to say the other part which is true which is they're illegal and immoral but if you just say these wars are stupid these wars are dumb and um we should really take all this money that we're wasting overseas and we should do a giant infrastructure project here in this country and give everybody a job and uh you know with uh, good wages and all that stuff I think that that sells better than, you know, saying, hey, we should have solidarity with our comrades who have been destroyed under the boot of U.S. empire in South America. I wouldn't say be. the word comrades. Uh, well, just, I, but, I, I, was kind of, <laughs> I was kind of. No, I go. I got you. I mean, yeah. <laughs> let me just say to just look, I think you're right um, in terms of what would be easiest to sell. I do think that you can sell and talk about broader and more altruistic things to people. And I do think that at some point that does have to be part of your pitch um, in general. But the second thing I would say on a strategic level, though, is when you come to policy and actually when you get in control of these institutions, right? And this is where the last thing I'll just say about it, because I do think someone like Daniel Bessner is, is correct, which is that unless you really sit down and formulate to some extent what this actually looks like, even like bureaucratically, like what is the US, you know, what what is a left position? Let's just say that more broadly for X, Y, and Z, right? Then all of the biases of that are already in place in Washington will snap into place and that will favor war, right? And I would say like even Obama, I think actually other than Libya, which was a huge, obviously, mistake and also a victory of, you know, these more like, you know, these people who should be totally discredited, like these like, oh, yeah, every five seconds we should, you know, the world is is like uh, just a playground for us to like, you know, relieve our moral anxieties on and generate a bunch of problems. Right. So we're not talking about like people like Samantha Power. But. You know, besides Libya, Obama really actually did pull back in a lot of ways from conventional warfare, but then he expanded this massive drone infrastructure, right? And frankly, from a self-interested standpoint, and if we keep the argument to there, I could see just as easily going to people in the middle of the country and being like, look, we're really not going to have, you know, an escalation of any warfare. We're not going to send your kid overseas, uh, but we still might have this giant unaccountable infrastructure of national security. It's killing plenty of people abroad, uh, you know, and that is actually both a huge policy problem and something you're going to need to figure out how to talk to people about in a way that does appeal beyond their self-interest. Because, 
you know, on some level, their self-interest could be in a sick way served by that. Like, okay, I don't have to worry about it and I don't care. And it doesn't implicate my family supposedly. So that's my final kind of final thought on that, at least for me. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I view that as more of like when, when they do that, when Obama does that, I view that as more of like weaselly political doublespeak. And I actually think, like, I get the point you're making that maybe people in the middle of the country could be convinced that for, like, well, for national security reasons, you definitely want to keep the bad guys at bay, and so we have to be there. But that's just a function of, like, rank propaganda that's being <laughs> spoon-fed to people. So I actually view that more as more of a – they've moved away from that idea, that principle of non-interventionism. Like, I wouldn't say – Obama is a non-interventionist in the same way I wouldn't say Trump is a non-interventionist, even though both of them used at least some rhetoric on the campaign trail, respectively, talking about how, oh, we should end some of these wars. I just view that as like, OK, you're kind of a fraud because I count that as war. If you're doing drone strikes in these countries, it's like and and I use Chomsky's rule on this. OK, yeah. just flip the script and imagine if people were doing that to us, what would we call it if like China decided well, we're going to just drone a few KKK enclaves in Texas. We'd be like, the fuck you are, bitch. That's an act of war. <laughs> we would be like, you're not going to oh, bomb in our country. What are you crazy? That's OK. As long as it's a light touch. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, no, no, exactly. No, I on the substance, I agree with you 100 percent. And I do you know, I do think, you know, it also I guess there the only other thing I would say, too, is I think it also is thinking of foreign policy, too, is like. You know, not in some like dumb pop culture sense, like obviously you and I are not in the State Department or the Defense Department making policy. But I think to some like we I do, be. we should be. Absolutely. <laughs> and I also think like when you and I do cover even whether we're like advocating on behalf of like, you know, Yemen being the victims of genocide, which the U.S. is actively supporting or saying like, no, there's a political prisoner in Brazil. We're going to report that story. We're going to try to amplify the voices of our friends overseas uh, or in other countries. Uh, that is an act of that solidarity. And I think that is both the better thing to do and in the long term, much more advantageous for us than just simply saying like, oh, well, you know, as long as we're not intervening, then, you know, whatever. And I, yeah, I, you and know, I have a different ethos than that, different mindset. You've, you've done a great job on that, to be fair. I mean, I think you really have because you uh, you're really in tune with what's happening, not just in this country. Um, you know, I've unfortunately I've, I've been more U.S. focused. And then every now and then you put a sprinkle of the U.K. in there. And that's just a reflection of the stuff that I'm digesting from mainstream media. But you've done a very good job covering what's happening in Brazil. And uh, you should definitely be commended for that. Um, let me ask you this question. Yeah, go ahead. Do you care? Cause I've had this conversation with Glenn Greenwald before and some other people. Do you care how they get there? So here's what I mean by that. I'll give you three different people. One, Bernie Sanders. Two, Rand Paul. Right. Three, Pat Buchanan. Okay. Three different people, three different reasons for effectively supporting the same position of, like, let's get out of Iraq, let's get out of Afghanistan, okay? Rand Paul comes from a libertarian perspective. Um, Pat Buchanan comes from a paleoconservative perspective. Um, and then, of course, Bernie comes from, like, a social democratic or democratic socialist anti-imperialist perspective. Now, ultimately, they end up at the same place on some specific issues. Now, like you said, the devil's in the details. In some ways, I think somebody like Pat Buchanan would support more force than either Rand Paul or Bernie Sanders. 
But if if those people come to you, if you get all three of them in a room and in this hypothetical world, they're all senators, okay? Do you care that, like, like I wouldn't care. I would just say, okay. Well, if you're, you're talking about, uh, you know, working with people and support, like, I mean, look, like Mike, Mike bill, Lee, yeah. Mike Lee is 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 one of the worst members of the U.S. Senate, and he's been indispensable in the thing that Bernie, frankly, has taken the lead on. But I mean, right. Bernie yeah. Sanders, who obviously is the closest to my politics and who I support, and then you know Chris Murphy, who's like a, a good, solid, like you know, liberal Democrat, and then Mike Lee, who's like a far right Republican. Yeah, I mean. I think it depends. Those types of thought experiments really depend. You know, they do have to be specific because I do think like on the other hand, I think it's different, you know, in terms of like, oh, I'll partner with some other like Twitter personality to like retweet each other. I think then it's like you need to think about that a little bit. Uh, and then if it's a presidential campaign to me, though, I'm I can't look at it that way because then I'm also going to have to be looking at trade, the environment. Like oh no, a no, no, not presidential campaign. Oh, I mean, dude, as far as working in Congress and supporting legislation, it's already self-evident that at least on really key things like Yemen, or as a matter of fact, I mean, the Iran sanctions package. Bernie right. Sanders and Rand Paul were the only people to vote to protect the Iran deal, which is, I think, the most important thing that has happened. You know, I mean, that's a huge accomplishment of Obama. Yeah. So, you know, that 100 mm -hmm. percent on that level, if I was in the Senate, uh, you know, I would be partnering with all sorts of people I don't like on Iran, Yemen and anything else I could do to stop See, I, that type of stuff. I totally agree with you, but we actually live in, in a time and place where that's controversial. Like a lot of people would just say no. Well, that's and wacky. That, if you can't understand, I understand, you know, you get into more subtle debates about, you know, who do you want to partner with or who do you want to, you know, whatever, you know, I, and I, I get some of those arguments and they're worth teasing out. But if you don't understand how Congress works, I mean, that is, is, uh, you know, that's, that's remedial stuff as far as I'm concerned. Right. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. And I would say that, again, as long as, and this is what I said back. I was at this Politicon debate, and I was on stage. The I think the topic was like, "How are we going to get along?" And it was like me and a and a couple odious actors, including Charlie Kirk, was on the same stage. And I basically said, "Like, we'll get along when we get along. Like, we'll work Perfect. together when we work together. Yep. Like, you're not going to get me to budge on what my values are, and what my policy beliefs are, and what my principles are. But if there are, or if there happen to be a couple areas." where your uh, policy ideas cross with my policy ideas, then we'll work on those things. But on everything else, you know, I'm coming after you and I'm going to beat you, you yeah, know? definitely. And, like, he, for example, came to the position of, like, he probably just despises Muslims, and out of that came this hatred of Saudi Arabia. And so when I said, like, hey, we shouldn't arm Saudi Arabia, he was like, yeah. Now, in his in his mind, it's probably because he just doesn't like Muslims. Uh, it, obviously, my take on that is a hell of a lot more thoughtful. But either way, if fundamentally we're coming to the same position, then on that position, okay, fine, we can work together. Well, I think um, that's and but that's a good. So when we get into media, like that's a good example of like, look, if we all want to sign a letter together that says something about arms sales to Saudi Arabia, let's all put our name on it. And and, you know, and 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 sign a petition or hold signs up or whatever. That's awesome. I think when, you know, 
if it's like, hey, why don't you and Charlie do a show together? And 15%, you know, 50% of it is Charlie saying like weird, you know, bigoted shit about Muslims. And then 50% of it is you talking about like the geopolitics in the Middle East. I'm going to say, yeah, that's we're going to have to do something much different than that or not do it at all. So I think it's really subtle. But I, I think the only other thing I'd say about it, I think this is a, another problem with the extent to which everything has become so mediaized because it's like, I, you know, the fact even that people, you know, one way or another, either people who are just like, no, like Bernie can't work with Mike Lee, which is just insane. Or on the other hand, people who are like, oh, me like retweeting some alt-right account about Syria is the same as Bernie working with Mike Lee. It's like both of those positions are pretty fucking dumb. You know what I mean? Like both of those things are not analogous. And I think, you know, especially when it comes to Congress, like you need to be reminded of how that shit actually works and the very specific role of it. Uh, and, you know, if anybody would criticize Bernie for working with Mike Lee, that's demented. Yeah, I agree with that. All of that. Um, the last thing, we only have a couple minutes left, but talk about the economic justice pledge. What's going on, Kyle? And how come I never get called in on these conspiracies? What the fuck? Well, so I, I wasn't even called in on this one. Um, <laughs> I was I was a I was a little bit of an afterthought. But basically, uh, Cenk Uger of TYT came up with this idea to do what's called the progressive economic pledge. And the idea was not this doesn't encapsulate like all of our issues, because obviously, you know, the 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 lefty platform is is quite long. And, and you know, so a lot of things are left off this. All the things that are like not core economic issues are left off this. So that obviously means there's nothing necessarily addressing foreign policy. There's not, not nothing addressing uh, criminal justice reform and legalizing marijuana and things of that nature. But it's basically like five very, very simple, very, very basic, very bare minimum things that we're asking all of the presidential candidates to sign. And actually not just all the presidential candidates, they just want everybody to sign it. So they want, you know, it's kind of like the idea is kind of like the Grover Norquist 1990s tax pledge. And for people who, who are unaware of that. Let me just fill them in real quick. The idea was, I think the pledge basically said something along the lines of, if you're a Republican and you're running for uh, elected office, you have to promise to not raise any taxes. Like, it's kind of like a a first do no harm idea for the far right. right. It's like, just don't raise any taxes. And so what happened was Grover Norquist was very successful in getting like a lot of Republicans to sign on to this because it was viewed as like the key litmus for like meeting the bare minimum requirement for being acceptable to conservative voters that we're doing that with the left. So the idea is the first uh, plank is higher wages, which is $15 minimum wage, right to collective bargaining. Um, Then we have Medicare for all is the second plank. Then we have Green New Deal defined as a 10 year plan to um, get off of fossil fuels and create millions of green infrastructure jobs. And then we have college for all and ending the corruption in our government. So five super simple, super basic things, higher wages, Medicare for all, Green New Deal, college for all and the corruption. And like we hope every Democratic candidate is going to sign it. People who've already signed it, by the way, Ro Khan has already signed it. Bernie Sanders has already signed it. Um, AOC has already signed it. And then I'm not sure the total number, but it's definitely in the thousands so far because this thing was launched. I did a segment on it. Jenk did a big speech about it in Iowa. Um, 
and we're talking about it now, which is good. We're just trying to get the word out as much as possible so that everybody signs it. You should call your Congress people and try to get them to sign it. You should get in touch with different presidential candidates and try to get them to sign it. And again, the idea is just bare minimum. Hey, can you reach this absolute bare minimum requirement to be considered like serious on the left? Yeah, I really like, I mean, you know, some other time I have some of the concerns about the Constitutional Convention, but uh, what I really like about it is, you know, and I don't know, people have been noticing I've been getting a little bit more critical of Warren in some ways, and, I, and that's maybe another conversation, but like, keep it simple. I just like that idea of like, get them really clearly defined bullet points on a bunch of major issues, and then just... Yes or no? Like there isn't that much room for nuance on Medicare for all or collective bargaining or rate raising, raising wages. In fact, there's no room for nuance. That's right. right. Like yep. there's none. Yep. So just do it or don't. And that's fucking awesome that you're giving them that do it or don't pressure. It's not me. It's Jenk. But yeah, I'm, I'm more than happy to help him because I think that this is uh this is a great idea. And I hope that we get everybody on the record because that's all we could ever ask for is clarity. Absolutely. No, it's perfect. And it also gives us, yeah, that that basis upon which to, you know, I think on that level get super specific, like not in the terms of like, you know, most people are not going to read vastly complicated bills, but things actually should be, you know, like a graph, right? Like I support a plan to cover with high quality, full, robust healthcare every single person in this country, period. Are you yep. up on that or a down on that? And, That's and it's it. not. It's not even like we're saying, like, hey, it's Medicare for all, and it's only this version of Medicare for all. There's a variety right. of different kinds of single-payer healthcare systems. There's, you know, the French-style system and the Canadian-style system and the U.K.-style system. Sometimes it's public funding of public institutions. Sometimes it's public funding of private institutions. But the only thing that's the connecting tissue is that it's a single-payer. You know, so yep. So as long as you agree to one of those, well, then, okay, you can sign the pledge. And it's, again— bare minimum type stuff here. So I hope, you know, they all get on board and I hope everybody gets involved. Sign it yourself if you're listening now and you're interested in this because it really helps. The more people that we get to sign that pledge, the more power the left has. And I know that they were in Iowa and they were talking to some of the presidential candidates. Jenk was there with hundreds of people. A lot of the presidential candidates who showed up had like no supporters. And then there's Jenk with hundreds of supporters. And so what's happening is we're making them bend the knee to left wing goals. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do and what's supposed to be a democracy. Absolutely. Kyle Kalinske, tell all the people all the ways they can find. I mean, I'm sure most know, but just in case you don't, tell them how. Sure. You could uh, find me at Secular Talk on YouTube, and it's at Kyle Kalinske on Twitter. And if you're uh, watching this on Kyle's uh, channel, at underscore Michael Brooks on Twitter and Michael Brooks Show on YouTube. Thanks a million, man. Let's do this again soon. All right. Thanks, man. Nice talking to you. All right, take care. You've just watched a Michael Brooks show video, and you can watch all of our full main live shows every Tuesday night at around 7 p.m. Eastern time and subscribe to get all of the clips you want. We're covering the globe. We're focusing on international relations, the intellectual dark web. We're having fun. We're doing deep dives with a lot of amazing guests. Of course, become a patron for the whole thing at patreon.com slash TMBS or subscribe to this YouTube channel and help us keep growing and get that content out there. Subscribe below.